Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 62, Embodiment Over Entitlement. Thank you for joining me for this week's awareness offering. Welcome. And the first thing I need to do this week is offer a content warning. This episode does contain discussions of sexual violence, including details of my own experience and discussion of the broader theme. So if that's something that is activating for you, you might consider skipping this episode. And if you do choose to listen, please ensure that you have support. So here we go. We're going to go into our opening ritual of singing the sound of Om one time to set a space of consciousness for this discussion and practice. Om is the sound or the vibration of consciousness. So as always, you can join me in this practice by singing out loud or just by listening. You might get your body into a comfortable position if you're coming along. And if it is safe and comfortable for you to do so, you might close your eyes or just take a soft gaze, looking down your nose or toward the floor to turn your consciousness toward yourself. You might take a breath in through your nose here if nostril breath is available right now. And an exhale, we'll make some space. And then we'll inhale for one sound of OM. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. So I woke up this morning thinking about the two times that I was sexually assaulted. And I am recording this at a time when we are really close to uh, an election day. Here in my state of Georgia, where we have a really important gubernatorial and Senate race on the ballot, uh, we are in our last week of early voting. It ends tomorrow as of this recording on November. I'm recording on the 3rd, but early voting ends tomorrow, November 4th. And then uh, general election day is November 8th, which I believe is next Tuesday. Let me just make sure I have that right. It is, right? So um, sitting here uh, at a time of election season and woke up thinking about uh, my experiences with sexual assault. And um, I'm going to talk about how those two things are related and what insights um, I have received around how they are related and how um, the importance of this election really relates to uh, the issue of, of sexual violence and true bodily autonomy. So 
Here's where I'm going to get into a little bit of storytelling around some experiences I've had. This is the first time that I'm speaking this out loud. And of course, as I thought about actually doing this, there were a lot of voices in my head, um, listing reasons why I should not. Um, but I do believe it's important to do this kind of storytelling. Uh, I do believe that it matters. And so I'm going to do some storytelling around my experience and then talk some about the insights and how it all relates to, um, all the voting (laughs) that we're about to do. Um, and of course to the practices of yoga and the spiritual path, which is the root of all the work that I do. So I experienced uh, sexual assault twice after in the couple years after I got out of high school, both of them happened in that time period. Um, it was both times. It was um, a man. It was two separate men, but they were men that I knew had known me for many years. And the first time I had gone out in my local like big college party town and I fell asleep on an air mattress alone in the living room of a townhouse um, that a few people I went to high school with uh, owned or were living in, I guess. And I woke up uh, not alone with someone's fingers inside of me. Uh, I have never publicly shared this. I have never said, named this person and I'm not planning to just um, based on... the way that I know that women are treated when they begin to name their, their, um, perpetrators. So, but yeah, that, that happened, right. Um, I woke up being digitally penetrated by someone, um, that I had not given any consent to. And at the time I froze, it's taken me several years to realize that that was a sexual assault and it happened. And the second time, Um, And I can't even remember whether which one came first. Um, You know, trauma tends to make uh, memory fuzzy because we often have to, we have to distance ourselves from the event um, in the immediate aftermath to protect ourselves and to continue functioning. So I don't really remember which one was first, but the second time um, I was at a friend of a friend's house and we were, um, I was sitting on the couch after a night of just like hanging out and I was under a blanket and um, the friend, not the person who owned the house, but the friend who had invited me over uh, sat on the couch under the blanket beside me and before I knew it um, was pulling my pants down and inserting himself into me. Um, and again, I did not recognize that um, as what it was. I don't really even want to say the word out loud. I have said it to myself, um, but right now, yeah, it doesn't feel, it's not rolling off the tongue. Um, so I, I'll let you um, come to your own conclusions. <laughs> but I, I did not recognize it as such uh, at the time. And again, I froze um, and we continued to hang out. And it was only years later when I realized, oh, that was rape. And that, there it is. There's the word. <laughs> um, so those are my experiences. And I woke up thinking about them this morning and There wasn't really any precipitating factor other than the fact that I had disclosed one of those experiences to my current partner um, a few days ago. So I think it was probably on the brain and my body took that as an invitation to continue to process these experiences. Um, And what I was thinking about as I continued to process them and and thought about them uh, early this morning was that they are instances of entitlement of these men feeling entitled to my body. Because if I named aloud the names of either of these two people, or if I went to them um, and 
detailed what I just said to you with the language around sexual violence that I just used, they would likely not see it as assault or rape. Very, It's very unlikely that they would. Um, and what that comes from is a place of entitlement. And I don't even entirely lay that at their feet as individuals. It's a conditioning thing. But these men felt so entitled to my body that it didn't seem like a violent thing to do to simply insert themselves, literally, um, without any verbal consent, without any discussion, and in the one case, without me even being conscious when the interaction was initiated. That is entitlement. That is an assumption that my body was fair game, that it's something that belonged to them in some way that it wasn't necessary for me as a full human to actively participate. Um, so this this sense of entitlement. And in reflecting on that sense of entitlement, I can see, and this morning I could see how that both, you know, is rooted deeply in the past and in our current socio-political landscape and our broader culture, right? That's partially why I say I don't even lay this issue completely at the feet of these men, although their actions are completely at their feet, but the dynamics that allowed them to feel as if it was okay to do what they did aren't entirely on them. Because one, this sense of entitlement, this feeling like it's no big deal to take what you want from someone else's actual physical vessel. In my opinion, if I sit and reflect on it, which I, like I said, I have been doing today, it comes from colonialism, right? It comes from the really old notion that a certain type of person in this case, and in the case of colonialism, men with European ancestry had some kind of right or superiority were chosen or uh, elevated in some way and therefore were entitled to take what they wanted and thought that they needed. And that was the most important thing, right? The, The other people involved were peripheral and not fully autonomous or human. The main point was these specific people getting what they wanted and needed. That's a colonialist mindset. And I believe that it was, you know, colonialism was the foundation of so many of our current societies, America, you know, my country included, that it's its threads have continued to be woven into our society as it has evolved and developed. And so that sense of entitlement has been passed down. And that's one way that men with European ancestry uh, continue to have uh, the sense that they get to take what they want and that um, the needs and wants um, and sovereignty, if you will. I don't love that word and I'll talk more about it in a bit, but in this case it feels appropriate, right? The sovereignty of other people um, is unimportant, right? So that's how I think that we, in some ways, it's much more nuanced than that. And I am not an expert. I'm speaking on reflection. This is an, this is an opinion-based discussion, but that's one of the ways I think we got to this place where, where men um, feel entitled to women's bodies in ways that result in sexual violence. And of course, I'm speaking to my experience as a, as a woman, cisgendered woman, um, who has had most of my sexual interactions with men. Uh, that is not to 
insinuate that other people, um, that men or non-binary folks, transgender folks do not experience sexual violence. They absolutely do. I'm just speaking from my experience and perspective. So that feels like the historical context. And then as I reflected on the way that I viscerally, violently experienced male entitlement in my own life, I also kind of developed some insight on how it's related to our broader culture, right? I'm thinking about how the summer of this year, 2022, um, Roe v. Wade fell, the constitutional right for women and people who can give birth to choose how and if and when they give birth um, was, was dissolved this year. And as many other people have pointed out, because it's quite obvious, still the majority of lawmakers um, on the Supreme Court and Congress making these decisions are men. Men making decisions about what women, not just women, but definitely women, can do with their bodies. And that is the exact same entitlement that leads men to decide it's acceptable to penetrate a woman while she's unconscious. The idea that there's some sort of specialness or elevation or superiority that gives them the right to choose what happens to a woman is both reflected in our broader cultural landscape and in these individual interactions like the sexual violence um, that I experienced. And that might seem obvious, but the connection landed for me this morning in a way that it hadn't before, where it was like, of course, (laughs) of course, men feel entitled to women's bodies. And it's it's annoying that I have to make this or offer this uh, qualifier and disclaimer, but um, I am anyway. Of course, I am not speaking about every single man. I am speaking about the general dynamic that has resulted in the types of violence that I and many other women and marginalized folks experience, right? But as I thought about the way that our society makes it appropriate by nationally legislating the fact that men are entitled to women's bodies and what happens to them of course on an individual level men believe that that they too have that right and it plays out through um, individual interpersonal violence and i talked a little bit you know i touched a little bit earlier um briefly about the word sovereignty And it's not a word I love because it is a word that is very indigenous in context. Um, It's widely used by indigenous folks to to name their, their fight, their ongoing fight against colonialism, against these same forces of entitlement. Um, for their land, for their lives, for their full autonomous recognition, and for their freedom. So I don't love to use it as a person who is not um, indigenous, and it has also been co-opted pretty heavily um, by people who are definitely not indigenous, to say the least, um, to to promote uh, anti-science, anti-public health views. 
And so it feels necessary to say what I'm speaking about here feels like true body sovereignty. My personal view is that, yes, it it is body sovereignty if you don't want to get a vaccine, um, but the people that you could infect with an airborne illness also deserve body sovereignty and to be able to choose not to be infected. Um, so it is it is reasonable for you to be restricted from certain places so that everyone can have body sovereignty. But I believe when it comes to... I'm, I'm looking for the words. When it comes to sexual violence, when it comes to the body of another person being inserted into another person. I didn't say that well. Let me, let me try again. <laughs> when it comes to a person's body being inserted into another person's body, be it a man or a person's body part inside of a woman or another person, or uh, you know, a growing human being inside of a, of a person's body. When it comes to that issue, that to me is the deepest form of body sovereignty, if, if we're going to use that language. Um, that is where the lines are so clear. And yet, both from a historical standpoint and a socio-political standpoint in present day, we are teaching men, not just men, but we are teaching men. Um, and, and historically, men have been taught that they are entitled to women's bodies, just like they were taught there, you know, they were and are entitled to the body of the earth, um, of the mother earth, if you will. So I've been thinking a lot about this, a lot about this entitlement and in having these insights and reflecting and having these realizations, it's hit me in a deeper way how you know, personal this, this upcoming election is to me. And I believe they should all be personal to us in our own ways, but this is a really visceral one. Um, and here with early voting coming to an end in my state and election day coming up for all of us on the 8th, you know, I think I just have to say like, please vote and please don't vote for entitlement for this continued entitlement because it causes a great deal of harm, which I've experienced personally. Um, and I can imagine if you're listening to this, you may have as well. When we legislate women's bodies, we perpetuate entitlement and violence. And on that, that perpetuates interpersonal violence. It perpetuates violence toward the earth. It is a cycle of entitlement and violence. And I do believe that we have reached a point where the, the intensity and extreme nature of the last couple of years have lifted the veil um, of complacency and like illusion, if you will, from so many of our eyes that it's so easy to see that we've reached a point that it's now or never, that we've got to break the cycle of entitlement and violence. And so the question then becomes like, what then? What's the alternative action if we can't keep perpetuating these age old and culture wide cycles of entitlement? What do we do instead? 
And to that I say, the answer that I have, I'm not the expert, I'm not the only one, but what comes to my mind and what came to me as I sat and reflected today is embodiment. Embodiment. A sense and a sense and an experience of being in the body in a way that is rooted, centered, supported, and whole. And of course, I link this back to the path of yoga, which is my, you know, chosen and beloved spiritual path. The word yoga means union, which I also take to mean as wholeness. So that experience of being wholly in our own bodies. And I think that it is a a way of being that stands to benefit kind of both sides of this coin that I'm discussing today both those of us who experience the violence i have talked about women because that's my lived experience though i know that we are not the only ones Um, but that embodiment allows us a sense of empowerment and agency of reclaiming the land the sacred land of our bodies as ours and a place to live fully and safely but also those who might commit the violence right whether they have or not, those who are kind of predisposed to violence, like I said in this discussion, I am speaking about men, but I know that not all men, of course, and men are not the only ones who commit violence. Um, But embodiment is a tool for that group of people as well. Because when you are fully in your body and you feel at home in yourself, there is no reason to grasp at something outside of you and to think that you need to take from another. To think that you need to use force to gain something because you know you already have everything. Because you have a home and wholeness in your own body. You have a present experience of kind of contentment because you just are who you are and you are where you are. That's embodiment. And I believe that is the practice that can benefit both ends of this spectrum I'm speaking about today, this entitlement and violence and, you know, those who receive it and those who perpetuate it, but also, of course, just benefit everyone. So my sort of my hope, my intention, my blessing and prayer and my call to action is that we begin to choose embodiment over entitlement. And right now that means in the way that we vote. It can mean just through the way that we live each day, choosing to land in our own bodies rather than expecting something outside of us to make us feel whole. Embodiment over entitlement. And I don't, you know, I'm under no illusions that it's as simple as just choosing like embodiment practices. And by that, I mean, you know, like, Movement, yoga, running, standing on the earth, anything that grounds and roots us into our bodies. I don't think it's just that simple as choosing to do that every day, though I do think that really helps. Um, I know this is a a systemic issue and it's beyond just me um, and it's not fully my responsibility (laughs) to control or to change, but you know, there would sort of need to be like a systemic 
relearning of how to live in a way that is embodied rather than live in a way that perpetuates entitlement. But I want to believe that that's possible. And it does begin, even if the day-to-day practices we choose are not the only solution, it does, the, the seeds of embodiment begin in the way that we hold ourselves in each moment, which then impacts the way we interact with our immediate environment, which then kind of spider webs out to all the other environments that are connected to ours. Uh, so now we'll move into some embodiment practice together. So this is the point in the Awareness Offerings podcast where we move from discussion into meditation, where we embody the concepts we have been simply speaking about and listening about. So if you're not in a position where you can sit for a moment and go inward, you might want to pause and come back when you are. If you are coming along right now, as always, my first invitation, my first embodiment practice I'll offer is just finding a comfortable seated position. And that means any seat at all, as long as you can embody a long spine, your spine being the central pathway by which your brain sends signals to your body. It's the home of the nervous system and the central pathway of energy in your subtle body. So when it's long, there's more space for your brain and body to communicate. That's, uh, um, that is one of the roots of embodiment. And there's more space for your energy to move so that you can you know, feel in the flow of things. So however, period, point blank, however you need to sit to find a long spine, whether you're in a chair, on your bed, on your meditation cushion, whether you've got support underneath your tailbone or your back's on the wall or your legs are crossed or not, however you need to sit to find that long spine, do that. And then once you settle into a posture of contemplation and meditation, you might choose to close your eyes. You never have to close your eyes. I feel aware that the topic that we have been discussing today is generally heavy and deals with uh, trauma-related topics, and it can feel unsafe to close the eyes. So know that you can always just take a soft gaze, looking down your nose or toward the floor. Just beginning to turn yourself toward yourself, directing your energy toward you, whereas in the rest of life, we are asked to put energy outward so much, but we turn it toward the self, which is yet another root of embodiment, landing within ourselves. And as you do that, you might be turning awareness toward your breath. Nothing you have to do or change with your breath right now. The invitation, if it feels good to do so, is to simply witness. To watch as the inhales move in, exhales move out. Like you would watch a sunrise or the ocean. The breath is a function of the body, so noticing it can remind us that we are in our bodies, embodied in the moment, and the breath is only happening in the present moment, so we can start to cultivate a sense of centering and presence. Beginning to land there in your own time and in your own way. 
Your mind might interrupt. It's natural. Your mind is also part of your body. So we don't have to judge it, shame it, push it away or make it stop. We just try to cultivate that witnessing. Just like we want to witness the breath, we start to witness the mind. As the thoughts come in, we can acknowledge them just like we would acknowledge the in-breath. And just like the exhalation releases, we can try to let the thoughts go and then return to the breath as a recentering as often as is needed. Settling in and when we can get out of that vantage point of feeling like we are only coming from our mind, that the mind is the focal point and there's nothing else to our experience, when we can move away from that, we're moving toward embodiment. To watch and be with and experience ourselves in wholeness of being an experience of wholeness within the self, not just thinking we are every single thought that we have, which can sometimes perpetuate chaos, stress, trauma, and those factors can easily lead us to continue cycles of entitlement and violence rather than centered embodiment. So we start to practice stepping back from the mind and watching it, stepping back and watching the breath, And you might even begin to watch your own body to witness any sensations, any points of awareness that you feel in your body, like the way that your tailbone touches the surface that you're sitting on, the air that meets the outer layer of your skin, any energies or emotions moving or sitting within your body, beginning to witness And as I say this out loud, I feel aware that it might just be the practice of of witnessing that facilitates embodiment. It's not the only way, but I believe that it helps. The ability to sit where we are and watch ourselves. Rather than needing anything outside of ourselves, even just for this moment, rather than assuming that there's something that we're missing that needs to be taken, just witnessing us as we are. Experiencing our birthright of presence with ourselves simply because we exist. There's nothing that we're lacking. Of course, we have basic needs like food and water and shelter. That's not to say we don't need anything, but our essence lacks nothing. And when we can witness ourselves, each part, each intricate piece that makes up the mosaic of who we are, we begin to see a little more clearly that we are whole. Even the parts that are uncomfortable to be with, right? Discomfort in the body, heavy sensations like heartbreak or sadness. 
If we begin to witness them, we recognize them as parts of our embodied experience, nothing that is incorrect or has to be fixed. Something to watch. Like we would watch a small child playing, just allowing ourselves to be as is. This is embodiment. And I, one of the other things I believe and have come to believe through practice and learning is that witnessing is inherently compassionate. Being fully with, that's what compassion means. Living into the experience, whether with ourselves or with someone else. We witness with this almost nurturing-like compassion, each part of ourselves. And when we offer that to ourselves, because we are fully capable of doing so, it does not have to come from anywhere else. We don't need to grab anything, take anything, conquer anything, dominate anything. To be loved to be whole or to be safe because we have this capacity for compassionate witnessing. Watching each facet of our own existence as we embody who we are in this moment. And you might even begin to embody a soft smile, either internally imagining a smile across your face or curving across the center of your chest, your heart, or maybe physically turning the corners of your mouth up. Thich Nhat Hanh, Buddhist monk, beloved teacher of mine, would call this face yoga. The smile sending a signal to the brain and nervous system that there is contentment present. So we embody this soft smile as a continued symbol and signal of our compassion just content to be watching ourselves as we are in this moment, to be witnessing each part of the whole, to remember that we are whole. Remembering embodiment. It's not something we have to create or get. It is a, an inherent state of existence that we simply have to remember. A few more breaths to breathe, to smile, to witness here. And then I'll invite us to close this practice as we often do with three sighing breaths. Sighing can also be a practice of embodiment, activating the parasympathetic nervous system, the opposite of our fight or flight, 
my psychology teacher would help us remember in high school. She would help us remember this contrast by likening parasympathetic to a parachute. So it's this sense of landing and landing within ourselves helps us to embody. So you might join me in taking a breath in through your nose and sigh it out. You might do that twice more. Once more. And then you can slowly, really taking your time, begin to blink your eyes open. Maybe begin to move your body, easing out of a space of meditation. And this is really how we practice embodiment, by going deeply inward, but then taking the sense of presence and centeredness and whatever else we generate and remember for ourselves in practice with us into our experience of the external world. And I feel really aware as I close this particular episode that a lot of this was kind of real-time storytelling and processing of some really visceral stuff and wrapping my head around what I think it means for me and the cultural moment that we're in. And I honestly don't know how eloquent I was in expressing some of it, but I, I feel lighter and I feel more embodied myself having expressed it. The sun came out more as I got to the end of this podcast. It was cloudy toward the beginning, so there is a lightness present. And I do think it matters to embody witnessing of myself and other folks who have had these experiences by by telling these stories. So thank you so much for listening, for practicing embodiment. Please do take care. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram. <laughs>